Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 11th of December 2023. Okay, I've missed a lot of this week. I've been looking after the wife with a poorly leg. And I missed the boss. And I, I understand it was a fairly subdued affair. It wasn't overwhelmingly cheerful. Yeah, it's, it's kind of reflects the, the mood of the industry i think or certainly the pricing structure there's nothing exciting out there we're all waiting for something bullish to happen in the world and it just isn't china's been buying a bit of wheat off america so the the states have rallied on wheat is it enough to just keep going is this the beginning of the new dawn doesn't really feel like it so i think it's gonna continue in this mood as we go through december sometimes some strange things happen over christmas with very thin markets and everybody on holiday so it gets squeezed in one direction or the other don't read into that i don't think there's anything new and dynamic happening or likely to but yeah we've got the rest of december to go through if the chinese keep buying it then great we'll we'll that will start bolstering the the u.s market and then We'll start following it. At the moment, on new crop values, we are trading at a premium, don't forget, already, because we're anticipating a smaller crop than what we're going to use. So there's not as much upside movement with us at the moment, because we've already kind of got some of that in there. Anyway, so let's do prices first, and then I'll, I'll find something to rant about, probably. That'd be just for a bit of fun. Horsey rape, 3.45 for Jan. No one's going to sell it. It's kind of like, it is what it is at the moment, so carry on closing your eyes on that. Harvest, 3.55 for harvest. Rape is no store charges, better price than this year. But I don't see anyone selling it. The little flea beetle grubs are happily in the stem waiting to do some damage in the spring, aren't they? Uh, although some frosts might have put them off a bit, but I doubt it. Let's get through the miserable stuff. Feed barley, 150x for Jan. Moving swiftly on. I guess that makes harvest. I mean, harvest is probably feed barley, 160. That's a guess. I don't know. Not very good. Malting barley, this year's crop, is pretty asleep at the moment. I mean, there's a few people getting rejections and having to dig around to find some replacements, which is easy enough at the moment. But I think as time goes on, there's buyers creeping into that. And there's still some tonnage to be traded. But I don't see anyone brimming with massive enthusiasm in this current sort of downy mood that I just can't see anyone steaming in this side of Christmas. So I think we'll have to shut up shop and go home or something. Malting barley has got good reason to feel that it's not going to collapse. I think there's not going to be uh, much stock carrying into next year, and that is an issue for the maltster. We don't know what the spring's going to hold. And this week's podcast is actually a weather-based podcast. Joe went out to see Adam Jury from WeatherQuest and had a fantastic meeting with him. Uh, you'll hear it, and, and basically trying to draw him on what happens next. And in, within their conversation, you know, you, you can't make that accurate a, a projection, but 
there is an, an, an instinct that you know there's going to be a dry period to balance up all this wet with with el nino being a, a dominant weather factor in the world invariably that brings some warmer drier weather into next spring you know whether whether it turns into something that never rains again in may and june is another story but the sentiment the dynamic of traders and the way they think and they worry and they stir people up and say it's going, the world's going to end there's not going to be any crop and there's not going to be any malting barley. Those are the things. The weather is ultimately the biggest driver of, of commodity prices and always has been. Uh, we'll add that to a bit of geopolitics and big wars and such like. But basically, weather is is constant, you know, confusing issue. So, yeah, it's a good conversation. And, and you know, Joe presses on whether it's going to be a white Christmas. And he also presses on whether Carol Kirkwood or Michael Fish is this guy's favourite. And we find out that Carol Kirkwood is not in fact a meteorologist she's you know i mean what i can't i was trying to think of a couple of good points why she's actually on tv moving on anyway that's joe joe and adam jury ah malting barley for the next harvest 1.6 nitrogen laureate diablo really pucker ideal north norfolk ideal coastal perfect broadland you know 1.4 1.5 nitrogen lovely perfect barley probably harvest about 225 uh, store members, Aylsham Grain and Yare Grain store members, we've got a contract that would pay you 250x store for April 25. So that's kind of not bad. It's, it's a, certainly a, a good backstop. It's a limited tonnage of that, but it's, you know, it's, it's a good sign. And it's for those who grow definitely low nitrogen. It's a very specific contract. That's Laureate Diablo. That's a good one there. So let's talk about feed wheat now. Feed wheat, old crop, January 177. May 185, July 190. Again, it's there are people who have got to sell some tonnage. They've stuck their head in the shed and it's wet. It's got bugs. It's got this. It's got that. We've, we've a number of people turning up suddenly going, "Ooh, I've got some stuff I need to move. It's a bit damp. Where can you take it?" And we've gone out and looked at it, and and you know, it's on more than one occasion. There's there's actually one or two little creepy crawlies in there. The cold weather's helped push that down a bit, but there is trouble out there. And uh, one or two people have not liked the price since harvest and consequently sat there looking at it all the way through. And now is the time when they're going to have to bite the bullet. And if you want to move it post-Christmas, don't come in in January and expect to move it in January because that those slots will be taken up. You'll be likely moving it Feb or March. So let's, you know, if you need to, even if you don't like the price, just get on with it because it's not going to get any better. So it's that that's happened just about every year of my trading career. So there's there's people out there who kind of, procrastinated and now they're they're getting fed up with it and there's no point you know a little bit of planning i'm telling you if you want january movement you need to sell it probably before christmas for a january price i think i'll finish with a with a little round i've got something like this that sort of uh ben attended a consultation we'll call we'll put that in brackets because it's a joke for the digital grain passport which continues to be a stitch up you know and i know that there's people who get irritated with me saying this but without any doubt, when you have a consultation and you have typed questions only that you don't answer properly and then move on, you know, that's not a consultation. If you're not going to listen to answers or you're not prepared to answer properly, then it's a, it's just a, you know, well, we had a consultation. It's a bit like the Tory party, isn't it? Having a, having a review of stuff done by their own people. This is a joke consultation and it is continuously pushed. And anyone who dares say, oh, this isn't a good idea, it's the idiot, Luddite, you don't understand, you're such a moron, you're too old, etc. And I'm not the only person saying this. There's lots and lots of people 
who are at that meeting who are frustrated with it because we've had the conversations with them. So yeah, I'll give you an example. There's a, a six million page business thing put together and, and I'll give you an example of, of some of the concerns, right? If you look at the data governance group, right, this is this is section six two two, which whatever that means is you know, section two of section six paragraph two i don't know um anyway there's it goes into great detail for lots and lots of pages and i think it's a 60 page document anyway this particular section it is uh, to discuss whether access is going to be allowed in phase four bearing in mind we're supposedly in phase one at the moment page 31 this is on by the way now uh, the the ownership group the ownership group oh that's an interesting question who's the ownership group is, are they going to be allowed to act, allow data to be supplied to third parties? Now, bearing in mind, phase four is going to be from harvest 25 onwards. That's a like little presumption that, A, it's just going to be steamrolled through. And by that time, the people who own this stuff are going to be able to decide whether they sell it to third parties. Now, this is one of the these are data data governance in the hands of Muppets who just want to push this through, who have got a lot of commercial interest in it. And bearing in mind where we're heading with carbon benefits, is there going to be a way that, that using electronic passports gives them quicker or easier opportunity to seize some of the money that should be coming to farmers? I, 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 there's too much interest from the big companies. And you look at the, the people on the list, the guy who represents all the independent merchants is very carefully noted as an observer. So he can't have... An opinion. All of those merchants, the small merchants who don't agree with it, uh, he's only an observer. So I'm sorry, sorry you can't vote. <laughs> you represent more tonnage than him, 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 and him. But you can't vote, old boy. It is a stitch up. So I leave. I am going to leave this podcast irritating the. I'm going to do this anyway, big boys, and some people who want to define their career by making their name on this. I've got two questions. One: Who is ultimately going to be the ownership group? Because in my mind, if it's farmers' money paying for it, and AHDB allegedly haven't committed to actually paying for this yet, and yet they have done a bucket load of work on this, and they're very much involved in this process. So the first question is, who will be the ownership group? And in my mind, farmers, if they're paying for it, with their money, their levy money, being the 83% of that money, and grants, which will come because of the commitment of farmers within that. They'll get some grants towards it. So it's, it's government money plus farmers' money. There's no real trade money except for the diddy little 17% that some of these bigger guys have got. They've got the control and they're putting barely any money in. And it's, you know, it's, it's, will it be owned by the farmers, the data? That's the question. If they've paid for it, they should own it. Second question is about the AHDB who allegedly have decided that they haven't concluded that they're definitely going to pay for this yet, while they're out there asking everyone to dip their hands in their pockets and spend more money with them. So they're spending their money wisely, but they're not committing to whether they're doing this or not. And yet, the business development and all of the all of the work that seems to have been done pretty well so far has been done by the AHDB. So the question is, how much money, how much of the levy paid by farmers has been spent already on this project? Is it in the costings for the future business plan? No, this is just money that's been blown away. That we're, we're told there's a contingency. So is the contingency in the HDB budget just like, oh, we'll just, we'll just spend some of that and we won't tell them about that. We won't mention the fact we've already blown away 50 grand on, on what we've done so far or more. So how much money of the HDB 
levy has been spent already on this wonderful, much more expensive than the current system and will get more expensive as years go on because it's an IT system. There we are. We've got all the argument there. Two simple questions which will never, ever, ever be answered accurately. So yeah, despite my not being in the office, I still have the ability to get myself wound up by the audacity of people to suggest that they've got this brilliant idea and because it's electronic it makes it really good and there's absolutely no honesty in who's paying for it who's going to benefit from it and I, I just I just find it really irritating that this this can happen and the NFU England to a large degree are asleep at the wheel I, the Scottish guys have got it but down here I guess because there's more independent Scottish merchants or something but d- down here there's just you know yeah yeah we yeah, go along with that yeah yeah obviously anyone who doesn't do this is an idiot or too old and I did go to one of these meetings and and the young man who represents you know he's a, you know the, the third son of a big landowner no doubt just kind of said, well, you know, a lot of these old guys will be retired at some point. So in other words, anyone who couldn't use the, the machines to actually get their lorry tipped somewhere is therefore going to be obsolete. And they seem to have forgotten that the average age of farmers is 60, which means there's a bucket load of people in their 60s and 70s and even 80s who are completely alienated by this. And that's the point, the grasp, the reality of going along with the Emperor's New Clothes slogan, you're an idiot if you, if you don't do that. I'm sorry, the Emperor is naked and you are the Muppet who's saying that he isn't. Okay, all of you. It's not quite time to say Happy Christmas, but uh, yeah, you can kind of see the mood I'm in. I think it's more to do with the weather and the grumpy old prices than anything else. So there, off my horse. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. DJ Barnard Meats is a family-run farm and butchers based in Norfolk. Their award-winning lamb and beef meat is some of the finest in Norfolk, having sold their home-reared meats to the public since 1997. Available to be purchased from their Shropham store or to be delivered straight to your door, don't miss out on this exceptional Norfolk produce. Place your orders by calling 01953 497 018 or visiting their website at www.djbarnardmeats.co.uk. And now it's time for the farm chat. Okay, so today I am with Adam Drury from WeatherQuest, and he is a meteorologist. Hi, yeah, I'm uh, here in the Enterprise Centre in cool. uh, Norwich, our little, little base here in, uh, on the University of East Anglia campus. Okay, and so just tell us a bit about WeatherQuest, who they are, how they came about, and how you came here. Yeah, so uh, WeatherQuest started in 2000. And we're a private company based in, in East Anglia, obviously in, uh, in Norwich. Yeah, we initially started doing BBC things with sort of media, and it was from really ex-BBC people um, that we started. Jim Bacon, yep. whether you know. No, yeah, no, no, and, uh, I remember him coming into school. Yeah, he came yeah. into school when I was uh, very young. Yeah, 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 got his <laughs> yeah. signature. Yeah, he, yeah. He, uh, he started still, still in the company, still cool. taking a bit more of a managerial sort of director's sort of, well, a little bit of a break. He's more retired, but still training us a little bit in there. Cool. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's mainly mainly gone a little bit but uh, yeah still there and then phil garner um he's now retired as well he uh, was one of our okay uh, sort of as well and then uh, steve dawling right um, he was more kind of the uni side of things as right. well and uh okay. he's got steve weston steve weston used to do quite a few things on uh, media as well uh, okay wise but yeah so got, got a few people but yeah we started mainly with farmers agricultures that was our sort of home really to, to start um, okay. and then we've we've diversified from there we've gone into uh offshore wind onshore wind 
um, obviously quite a big thing yep. at the moment. And then water utilities, ports, uh, we do do weather forecasts for okay. four different ports around the UK. So we've, we've diversified a lot, grown a lot. And really, I say agriculture as a base, we've then gone into viticulture, obviously sort of slightly different side of, of agriculture. Vineyards, obviously, is uh, that side of thing. And that's basically an upcoming thing happening in the UK with a bit of bit of climate change helping with that. But yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. everything else is changing uh, okay. with all that. So. so are you, I mean, obviously predominantly UK-based, but you go further afield? Yes, yeah, we, we can really do a forecast wherever people want us to do a forecast for. We've had uh, places in Portugal, places in Ukraine, as far afield as Taiwan and South Korea in uh, once upon a time. So yeah, we've forecasted for places around the world. We aren't really just a, a okay. UK company or... Uh, more and more, I think we're not just an East Anglia company. We we do everywhere in the UK and yeah, everywhere across Europe and, and parts across the world. So, okay, yeah. so your knowledge is fairly large yes. and in <laughs> good depth. Okay, so first question I think really is: Are we going to have a white Christmas <laughs> at the moment? And the model wise, and at least what telecollections wise, no, I would say is fairly unlikely. And actually, it's less than it's well, yeah, more unlikely to actually see a white Christmas than actually see a, a white Easter you'd be slightly more probability to actually see snow in Easter with obviously everything cold down, cooled down. And yeah, in the stats-wise, slightly more likely to see it then. But this winter is maybe a slight exception to that. We have got a little stratospheric warming going on. Okay. And that's potentially could influence some colder period just before Christmas. So whether it will be on the day or not is the big question. But yeah, I'd say maybe slightly more heightened chance in the short term at the moment okay so you you haven't completely shattered my daughter's uh, hopes yet yeah not not totally shattered there is a potential there but so yeah yeah. and and ian's in an office he loves to be on a toboggan yeah he's crazy for it (laughs) oh everyone in our office i got messages at 4am this morning oh it's snowing outside (laughs) it's uh, we've had our first snow oh (laughs) yeah uh, it gets quite excited by the yeah no understandably (laughs) understandably first things first overused word but extreme weather we've just had Mm. you know the huge amounts of rain is this a normal thing should we look at it in a is this sort of you know armageddon type scenario or is it was it actually something longer term that we actually probably you know what why why did it happen yeah at least for this autumn there's many different factors i'd say that go into it so predominantly the last few autumns we have seen some wetter than average autumns happening so that could be potentially a climate trend that we might have to get used to that the basic averages might be changing um, in the fact that at least here in East Anglia obviously other parts of the UK are slightly different but here in East Anglia at least we have seen some wetter autumn periods mainly September October November not so much but obviously this November we have had some wetter than average rainfall which has then what led on from October yeah, yeah. this year at least has predominantly been forced, as say, by the change to El Nino. Okay. So obviously La Nina happened or was, was predominant the last few years, which yep. there is actually a link there between if La Nina is present in uh, February and February is a drier month, then that usually leads to a drought year. So a year where we probably had lesser amounts of rainfall, which last year that really did. We had a long period where we were struggling for, for rainfall um, last year. So that's then obviously now changed and we've gone into the more La Nina pattern rather than, uh, sorry, El Nino. El Nino rather than La Nina pattern, which then that does try to bring the stronger jet stream and bring the basic rainfall off the Atlantic. Okay. This year as well, I'd say, has probably helped with the warmer sea surface temperatures. 
that right. have been fairly anomalous across the Atlantic, really, yep. the, the whole of last year. Whether that was partly driven by La Nina the year before, bringing in loads of high pressure and obviously had really extreme temperatures for at least the summer months. Yeah. So I guess there's many different factors in there that, at least for this year, have led up and it's almost been kind of the perfect scenario for that wetter weather to happen. We've had the okay. warmer oceans, it's been a change to the stronger jet stream happening and yeah, everything's led to pretty much the wetter autumn really and if anything it might be the atmosphere saying, hey look, we had a deficit a year and a half ago, this is me trying to catch up. Okay. And to be honest, I think the general trend in the longer term and climate-wise, unfortunately, this is probably what's going to happen. Extremes, we are going to see these different extremes. So even though in the past we obviously had these different events from La Nina, El Nino, and the differing kind of drought periods and slightly wetter periods, unfortunately, I think they're probably going to get that bit more extreme. So even though these things have happened in the past, they're almost going to be on acid a little bit sometimes. Okay. And, uh, yeah they're going to be that bit more intense yeah, rather yeah. than just a kind of mild thing okay. um, that, uh, that happens. What do you see, you know, the next question that everyone's looking at is, you know, first and foremost, the white Christmas, but, mm. you know, the, the next few months, you know, a lot, of, a lot of our growers and things are struggling to get wheat in the winter wheat in the ground and the head-scratching moment, if, you know, is there going to be a window? Are we going to see, you know, we've now, the last you know, few days colder temperatures and we're sort of looking at more frost and maybe some clearer skies is there a possibility can you see things you know what what's the the forecast for the next couple of weeks up to christmas and beyond what are you really yeah at least there seems to be a change at least from this colder period to a warmer period again probably from about the 5th and 6th of december onwards so that does look to switch back to that bit more atlantic driven southwesterly flow when we get back to the milder air Unfortunately, obviously, that could bring some wetter weather again. It does depend on slightly if it is that little bit further north. At the moment, it does look like it might just be that touch further north. So a bit better for at least our part of the world in, in the southeast that yeah. we might have some drier weather and warmer dry weather as well to hopefully dry things out, at least before Christmas. Obviously, dependent on the stratospheric warming yeah. event. If that does happen, then yeah. that might bring a brief cooler period. But I say in general, with the El Nino happening, that tends to bring the stronger jet stream through January, February. And the general trend is that usually would bring us obviously wetter, windier weather and warmer weather through through the January, February period. So it all is going to depend on how far north that jet stream is, unfortunately, during that period. If it is that little bit further north, then for us in the southeast, yes, we could could have some probably around average precipitation for the months. Obviously, still we were wet, but... Hopefully there'll be some dry periods in there to fuse to get on the fields and do stuff um, at least, rather than it being an extreme wetter period. But yeah, hopefully there is some slight uncertainty in there that obviously with the Stratosphere Warm event happening now, then if it does try to happen again, maybe February, March time, then there might be a signal potentially end of February going into March that there could be a return to some cold weather again. Obviously we're getting into spring by then. So I think the idea has been that, at least at the moment, that if we do get that little warming event end of the season and it is looking a little bit more likely to happen really at the end of winter rather than kind of timing right to happen sort of during February when we're at our coldest time. So hopefully that could bring a maybe sunnier March and it will just be dependent. March March is always quite a tricky month. If the warming event happens nearer the end of March, then actually that could bring a warmer 
sort of feed off the off of Europe okay. to us in the east. Obviously, it's predominantly going to be in east southeast if it when these warm events happen with the high pressure developing over sort of northwest Scandinavia and across Greenland. So, I mean, there's a lot of information there, and you know, key things that you would say to now. Obviously, now we're looking at that sort of three month period, yeah, and trying to nail down, you know, what should the growers be looking at? What's, you know, obviously there's certain, you know, looking at weather and those that, but, but key things that what you as meteorologists are looking at that are sort of saying, helping you predict, obviously a model is there to help, but you have, yeah. do you still sort of feel like there's a instinct? Do you have, you know, you've been doing it for a number of years yeah. and, and there are people obviously that are heavily dependent on, they've never really had that gut feeling sort of because they've been so influenced by just algorithms, just their sort of computers but there, there is still the Jim Bacons of this world that yeah. have an instinct a feeling because they've seen so many does do you feel that way still or yes yeah I've, I've obviously in terms of Jim Bacon I'm the mine only having eight years of experience but yeah it's still still eight years of experience and it's still eight years that I've been looking at all the models and there is the instinct there and at least within the company as well there's that instinct that we have got the kind of warmer scenario coming in terms of El Nino um, happening. But really, I think the drivers of all this is going to be El Nino, predominantly this this winter. In terms of what people can look at, then really there's not a whole lot seasonal-wise out there, to be honest, in terms of the three-month. Most of the data, which you can download, the data, the raw data, if people wanted to, is from Copernicus, a website called Copernicus. They have all the data there for free, and they do actually have on the website as well, they do have charts that you can look at. So... You can have a look at all this data yourself if you really wanted to. Whether it's in a format that you understand is the, the question, really. Mostly, mainly focused for meteorologists, but that's the kind of, I guess, key thing that anyone can look at this data. It is, is freely available. How you interpret it is, is the next, next thing, and really that's, I guess, where we come in as a whole as meteorologists, is so, we try to be that middle gap to interpret it into Yeah, so your, that's, 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 that's something, something to sort of look at. I mean, there is the classic sort of thing where people used to always go to the Met office mm. and they were or BBC were you know up there and they were yeah. using and they were basing their obviously their forecasts on a model and there are numerous what models again when you've got this plethora of you can go on some apps and things like this mm. that now show you different models which to use yeah what would you how would you go about looking at you know, some of this information that's available Obviously, we can't, you know, as you say, taking that raw data is going to be difficult. Mm. But what would you sort of say to people, go on this and look at this and this? How do you decide using which model? Yeah, so it's a very big question, that, in the fact that there is many different models out there. So I'd say each Met service run their own model. So UK Met do, German Met service do, French Met service do. And there's, I think, a group actually in the in Europe that each, each Met service run their own different models. So imagine pretty much every most countries in Europe run their own model in terms of UK wide then I'd say look at the main global models so the Americans UK Met French model and the German model seem to be the the slightly better ones at least global wise to look at they obviously cover the the whole globe but there is these high resolution models that go down to one to two kilometer resolution every grid point on the earth is is one to two kilometers rather than say 10 kilometers so, right. which is more the, the global model basis. So in terms of the apps that then feed into that, then yeah. every app uses pretty much different variations of the models, um, unfortunately. So someone did ask me a question the other day to be like, what, what app should I use? And to be honest, there isn't really an answer to it. 
I'd say okay. look at every app individually and almost try and take a bias of them. What would you disregard? What would you, uh, <laughs> let's, be, let's be cut to the chase. There's a lot of waffle sometimes. Yes. And you've got to sort of say to yourself, ah, okay, I've got so much information here. Where do I sort of hang my hat? Where would you, if you sort of left your own devices not being the meteorologist, you yeah. are, but, but sort of say, okay, I would look at this and I would tend to go that way. Yeah. If there was a couple of apps out there, I'd honestly go for probably the BBC. And um, there is the Met Office one. There's a good one that uses basically the EC and a Dane, no, Norway model. God, that's gone off the top of my head now. So what's that called? They haven't really got an app. It's more of a website, that one. Okay. Um, so yeah, app-wise, I'd say right. pretty much BBC and Met Office. Okay. In terms of websites, then there's obviously loads of plethora yeah. um, out there. If anything, probably maybe WX Charts. That's got a fairly good sort of broad range of models if you wanted to look at models. Right. But they do have a little bit of a sort of side that gives you a kind of broader 10-day forecast, okay. which adds in ensembles. And to be honest, most of this that we've talked about, we've been talking about deterministic models, which basically run one model out for a certain set time period. Whereas really, the when you're looking at, a say, probably more than a week forecast, you really want to look at ensembles. So ensemble forecast is basically you run a model many times and it tries to produce different possibilities. And then you look at the most probable outcome from all these models. Okay. So yep. if you try and get hold of, again, WX Charts has that, at least in the GFS um, right. side of things. The EC, which is slightly better, we have the EC on our main product in our farming portal, but it is paid for service. So yeah. that isn't really out there. The data isn't really out there freely available. Okay. Um, they have limited charts on the ECMWF website right. that people can look at. But yeah, they use 100 basically different members. So yeah. that's basically, hopefully with the, the 100 members, you'd have some sort of cluster yep. to one direction or another on, yep. on certain yeah, days. Okay. So okay. yeah, it's a really tricky question to kind of pinpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's so much yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose it's the same for Mark, yeah. I mean, the next thing is, you know, we're looking at, we looked at the short term. We looked at, you know, coming up to Christmas, looked at the further afield, the three months, looking into spring. Mm. How long-range sort of, you know, pinch of salt type scenario, or is there sometimes something you can... I mean, obviously, you've talked about... And so you talked about El Nino and La Nina and the impact of you know, where they take us mm. and, and the impacts of that. What would you sort of... Long-range, is there any point? Because the thing is, it always when you read and you go on something like the Met Office or the BBC, it sort of says, realistically you just might as well, you know, sort of flick a coin type thing. Do you feel that way? There is, uh, to be honest, at the moment, at least in, there's some data behind it, some verification that we've done on some of these season models. And to be honest, for our part of the world in the UK, it is honestly a probably about a 50-50 okay. hit ratio. Other parts of the world is better. So the skill is better in the models for other parts of the world, which is more continental climate. So yep. these season models have learned that a little bit better in in these areas mm. but for us being an island yeah. basically in the uk and obviously northwestern side of europe yeah. it is a struggle for a, pretty much all the all the seasonal models majority of them we try to sort of take you you kind of have to read into them really at that longer range it's not sort of a kind of hard sort of fact thing which is why you try to look at the probability of it and it's always going to be kind of a broad range of things for the whole month you wouldn't really take a kind of day-to-day or even weekly to be honest that far in advance if we're talking three to three to five months weekly might be possible if you're talking say sort of 30 to 40 days month month and a half 
forecast wise. Yep. So you could just about have sort of an average for the week. But even then, there is a bit of a blur with yeah. some sort of events happening. So okay. um, you try to sort of look at you look at it a bit more in depth, yeah. uh, really, in that respect. But yeah. Obviously, if then, you know, going on looking at those key things longer term mm. or any, you know, the, are there times of the year that you look at certain indicators more so than other times? You know, we, from a grain merchant's point of view and trading, there are certain times of the year that you're more influenced by certain factors than you are others. Yeah. What's that like in with the weather? Where do we go with... So, I guess in terms of, for the UK at least, then I'd say the main sort of factors, at least, well, I've talked about the La Nina thing in February, that sort of wonky thing that could lead at least to knowing what's going to happen in the year um, going forward. There is other different variations. So we've got obviously the NAO and the AO, uh, which have very close ties. They're the North Atlantic Oscillation and the Arctic Oscillation. Okay. But they do have different factors on like other things. So La Nina and El Nino play into that and so do. Okay. Um, but then also uh, whether it's warmer sea surface temperatures, that then obviously would change the NAO or NAO slightly. And they really all do have a feedback on different things. What I would say, at least in the summer months, there really isn't any, I'd say, indication at the moment on what would happen telecollection-wise. So, and the models do struggle really seasonally. Okay. What happens trying to predict summer? summer yep. months. Winter's that little bit more predictable. Okay. So there is a little bit more skill in there, and you do mainly focus on what the NAO in NAO is doing, pretty okay. much in in that respect. Most of the farmers will naturally have nowadays have got a fairly decent weather like station type mm. thing and they're picking bits of information and they're obviously some of those things are temperature and moisture and humidity and what sort of when you sort of looking at it you go to yourself right i would look at this you know when i i'm looking looking at the weather typically you look is it going to rain or is it going to be sunny <laughs> yeah. you know what sort of level of how much rain what's the percentage is there something that you focus on and say to yourself, right, at this time of the year, I'm focusing on these indicators? And obviously the bigger picture, the oscillations and things that you're sort of focused on, and that's you because, you know, you're a meteorologist and that's, yeah. that's what you're focused on. Yeah. But for the guy sort of on the farm or the person, in, you know, the, the, the normal person who sort of wants to know, are we going to take a coat or are we going to just wear a hat or what's going to happen? <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, at least for the uh, short term wise, then, yeah, I mean... Honestly, it is look outside <laughs> and right. see what's going to okay. happen. There's many parts of meteorology in that respect that right. you can basically look at what's going to happen, sort of wake up in the morning and sort of see what's what's going to happen. Um, there's obviously all the um, shepherd's tales, there's red sky in the morning, yeah. uh, shepherd's warning and, yeah. and all that. So then the, to be honest, there is some truth behind some of them. So yeah. if the, we do have that basically uh, nicer sunrise, then that, could, that means basically there's high pressure over, over Europe but there could potentially be a, a weather front coming in off the Atlantic. Okay. So if it is going to be a westerly flow, then that is basically more likely that we could see then rain later on in the day. Right. So that's why it's a, a warning that there could be rain coming. So there's some truth to it, but in terms of day-to-day thing, I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of tricky to link your local weather station. I've got a weather station myself, yeah. and it's hard to kind of link that to what's kind of going to, Kind happen. of yeah, happen in the day because you kind of want to look at surrounding weather stations or weather stations well, look further afield. Further obviously, afield. what's coming our way? Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, obviously, yeah. to be honest, before we had computer models, say 30, 40 years ago, or at least the the computer models we have now, yep. then that is what used to happen. People used to report from each other. This is the weather happening here. Yep. What's your weather there? 
and they used to talk and they basically used to say like talk communicating together and then worked out what front was coming what showers were coming or whether it was more of a rain or what the wind direction was and they basically worked it out from that they didn't have any complexity to it in model wise or what was happening in the upper atmosphere or anything like it's yeah they basically did that just from communication from looking outside and and talking to each other yeah obviously we've got a lot more <laughs> complex models that basically take into the upper atmosphere take into account the upper atmosphere now but yeah really i'd say for weather station wise it's good to have a weather station and if you report that too you can report it to the met office and they can use it for research stuff and try to better their models and right. you can also do that to the us as well then uh, some maddis maddis program sort of a whole big assimilation and sort of data grabbing program from the public Obviously, all this information is getting hit back now. We've just had this slightly extreme amount of rain, and we're going to continue having that. How much are the models and the, and the things that are helping us determine what we forecast the weather to be, are they significantly, are they, are they included in the models? Are they excluded? How do you deal with these extremes? Do we sort of chop them out because the thing is it messes with... Or, I mean, the thing is that how are people dealing with this, and are they, are they just like adding it to it and... How do the, the algorithms work? Are they just simply sticking all that information and then let's see what it comes out with? Or Yeah, well, that's pretty much what the random models do. They take in the information basically from an initialization point. Uh, most deterministics do at least take in information from a, a start point. They, there is varying amounts of what we call data assimilation, which is happening at this initial condition. So some of the models do just take a snapshot from one hour and then run forward. Other models do actually do something what we call 4D data assimilation, which takes into account either side of the hours as well, sometimes six hours either side. So they take in all that vast amount of data from weather stations, from satellites, from buoys, from ships, from wherever they can get data from, basically, from aircraft even as well. They take take into account data from aircraft because you kind of got to think the atmosphere is so 3D. We've got a kind of flat surface but that's only one set of data you've then got all the data up for thousands of miles up through the whole profile of the atmosphere and we are trying to basically have a grid point at each of these placements throughout the atmosphere and at least data wise at the moment that's probably one of our stumbling blocks that we just can't get enough data there in at the start to make the global models or any model really better at the moment, along with computing power. Okay. But they kind of interlink with themselves and the fact that if we have more computer power, we could try and put more data in there. And as well, we're getting satellites, which is getting better, yeah. but even that is less range at the moment. So I guess it's a, a thing where, yeah, in terms of model-wise and sort of the data that go into them is vast. Um, in terms of extreme flooding events, all the models take into a account of moisture at the surface so they will take into account what the ground surface moisture is and whether the well what air temperature is they take into account all all the meteorological factors at that initial initial condition so in terms of extreme weather the models kind of should know about it in terms of them forecasting it and then guessing right beyond that if there is an extreme event then they can struggle which then will have a knock-on effect months in advance so Yep. Say stratospheric warming wise, that's obviously a massive event in the stratosphere. If that is or isn't handled by the model, then that has a massive effect, at least in the, the longer ranges. 
but again, it's, it's data and partly the modelling of that part of the atmosphere to try and get it right. So in the short term, fairly good in the few, few days situation. We've got enough data there and we've got enough kind of good complexity in the models to, to know at least day one and day two, majority of the time. There is still some gaps in there, so each model can have a bit of a bias in the fact that if it gets on a wrong trend, sometimes it can't correct itself. Okay. And yeah. if anything, that maybe even happened partly back in the great storm, the Michael Fish moment, to okay. be honest, that the model rejected some data potentially in the initial data simulation phase, which was important, but it thought, oh, I wasn't it's predicting anomaly. that. Yeah. It's an anomaly. That's not going to happen. So if anything, that could be partly what could happen to some events now, to be honest, yeah. maybe not on the, the grand scale of things because we are in the better resolution where that anomaly shouldn't be so extreme yeah. for different grid points that the data should go into the model. But there's always that worry that, at least for some events locally, that might happen potentially. What someone's finding quite interesting is also, you've got this overall, so this is what the forecast is going to be. Mm. And you can see a weather system coming through from the you know, prevailing wind comes through southwesterly, job done, yeah, that's fine. Mm. But I still get conversations with, couple of growers, farmers, friends, wherever they're dotted around, especially around in the Broadland area. And literally a couple of miles away, they're seeing rain mm. and a decent bit of rain. Yeah. And then the other person just down the road isn't. And how you're trying to forecast, obviously, an area, but does it also acknowledge that there are certain areas where there's big spout, you know, big areas of water and land mass and things like that? So it takes into those bits of information? Yeah, yeah. The, the models, at least in the background, have... A land data set so okay that is just a snapshot of what the land is basically at that moment so to be honest i say some models update it differently compared to others so actually probably at the moment sometimes that is maybe quite far out of date so that's another kind of complexity in some of the models and maybe even a, a downgrade in the fact that it's that is causing a bias in the fact that it it doesn't know say an urban area is there or whether you've built a lake or built a motorway or something that obviously has something yeah, on the local yeah. scale when we are getting down to these one to two kilometer scales so i don't know actually how the met office do that at least how up to date their their land scale is because we've when got get down to that, that yeah because the thing but, is we've you know there are i know of, of certain growers that have got a similar sort of kit they've got they've bought into uh, weather stations that are all working together and then mm. you can pick up the information and yeah. and how that and that obviously has an impact on what they're going to see that grow in that certain area and they've got other bits of land that are either one side or the other of a, of a river yeah. you know my understanding is that you know when clouds come to a bit of water and stuff the temperature change obviously either means that the water is going to be it's raining or not yeah. and and they, they're sort of real things that people obviously have a, a connection with looking at a model and how much we obviously, you know, are going to sit down in a computer after being outside and stuff, probably not so much, but it does help. And you're saying, yeah. I, yeah, I totally yeah, the, yeah, in terms of like river-wise, it knows where majority of the, yeah. at least when you go to that finer scale, it knows yeah. all the land features. Yeah. And to be honest, it kind of blurs some of them together. So it, okay. if the grid point does cover various different sections, then it does kind of yeah. try to blend, blend all them together yeah, to yeah, yeah. try and pick the best one yeah. or it knows... Part of this grid point might have some forest in, it might have some urban area in, so it kind of yeah. blends the temperature a little bit yeah, yeah, um, okay. in that respect. But 
yeah, in terms of local scale, that's a whole different part of meteorology, to be honest. Yeah, there's no, no, there's the fine. meso, there's yeah, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. micro, and yeah, there's a massive, massive amount of meteorology there. Okay. Would you sort of say to anyone, don't bother buying that, buy this? Would you ever think, oh, you know, that's just a waste of money, don't worry about it? Or actually, it could be quite handy, you know, I would, I would, would you ever encourage someone to buy or discourage someone? Is there something or some bits of information, or would you, what do you think is, not the waffle, the the tat should we say <laughs> quite simply yeah. is there anything out there you would say steer clear of that don't worry about it it's just absolute rubbish in terms of weather wise not any sort of data as such if most of the kind of data is kind of black and white it's there like it's whether you trust that data or not and we're, yeah. we've got obviously talked about models and different models yeah. i'd say in terms of what people say then yes there is some i guess take some people as a pinch of salt or kind of know where it's come from Right. If you've got a bit of a background trained meteorologist there that's saying stuff, then I'd probably put them over, say, someone that's just doing it on a Facebook page or a Twitter page right. that might have some background there, yeah. but then if they've not really got much of training or they've not yeah. really got any years of experience I, or I, they're just kind of copying someone else, then yeah. yeah I'd... I love if you type into Google or something about you know, the classic sort of express or the mail comes up with, it's going to be a hideous, you know, winter or it's going to be an absolute scorching summer. Yeah. And I've done it a couple of times and literally they, they must churn out the same thing. What, from your point of view, yeah, we, we all in our own trades have this, you listen to the general society and stuff, the, the waffle. Do you think sometimes some of this information about what we've seen and the rain and the wind, is this, has it changed or is it sometimes, what do you think, you know, what's your feeling on how it's been, what the media have, what's from a meteorologist's point of view, is it real or are they just like making a story? I think majority of it is they are just making a story, to be honest. And sometimes if you read the finer detail of actually the, the story rather than just the headline, then it's a totally different thing. So I would say to people, definitely don't just read the headline. To be honest, that's with most things on yeah, media. Yeah, and just, yeah. I think media nowadays is yeah. try and look at the story more in depth rather than just a headline. But yeah, in terms of, I think, how it's been, I get in the past, the media have been a bit more, well, in the past, they haven't had much weather story in there. And to be honest, recently, they've been more weathery, which half of it we've sort of half welcomed. And to be honest, I think we've had a really change the last kind of 15, 20 years, say, that really with social media it's got weather in front of a lot of people like really quickly it's the whole kind of social media effect really that you find out new things from the globe yeah. um, it's not just the weather it ha it's happening with everything really yeah. whereas obviously you should just look in a newspaper and it would just be a set few newspapers but now we've got the internet that borders a whole lot more just of everything basically yeah. so yeah it's quite a lot of the stories are just rubbish to be honest, and they've either picked one model or one version of a model which says that could happen, or say one teleconnection that's potentially happened in the past, but actually it's just one thing. Yeah. It's not anything to do with... Just taking it out of context. Yeah, right. taking everything out of context, basically. Okay. That's the majority of at least the newspaper stories that you see at the moment. If they're quoting something about at least a warning that's obviously been issued by the Met Office, yeah. then they're the stories that you kind of want to try to read in more. But to be honest, sometimes even then, they're not quite getting the gist of things properly. So I've seen sort of stories recently pop out about some 
red warnings for like the flood alerts issued by or flood warnings issued by the Environment Agency, which is a totally different thing to rainfall happening there and then. Yeah. Because flood alerts could just be to do with tides or basically lag in the in the stream, but they've referenced it to do with heavy rainfall happening, which is not correct. So I guess some media organisations just don't, I almost kind of do it themselves and don't quite ask some of the experts yeah. to try and get it into a, a way that actually should be portrayed to the media and should yeah. be portrayed to people. Be warned. Is, be yeah, warned. Be warned, basically, is yeah. the, the main thing. Is no, no, that cool. It's not all as it seems sometimes. You've got to try and yeah. read into it a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah, it's hard with all the media stories that there's so much out there. And, uh, yeah, they're finding out about things that have always been issued, but they're just... They're just picking it, it up. To, yeah, yeah, they're bringing no, it up. Totally. Yep. In totally out of context to what the actual thing's there for, yeah. public-wise, or who uses it public-wise. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, there's a whole... Whole variety of different things there. <laughs> Great. So we've pretty much. I think we've. I don't think we go any much further at the moment. We just. Yeah. We've covered loads in there, and it's been yeah really interesting. Thank you very much. I just like one last question though. Yeah. And the last question has to be: which one? Which meteorologist do you think is the best, Carol Kirkwood or Michael Fish? It's a hard question because Carol Kirkwood actually really isn't a meteorologist as a trainer. She hasn't actually had any background training oh, as a meteorologist. She has just learnt it from just doing the job. I've obviously got a lot of a lot of training now because she's had the years of experience. Yeah. But yeah, maybe as a meteorologist, I think Michael Fish was probably sort of oh, more of the, the meteorologist <laughs> kind of thing. So if I was to choose maybe with the, with the years of experience, probably Carol Kirkwood now. Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> but, fair uh, enough. Just because I like her more yeah, 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 yeah. than Fine. Michael Fish. But yeah, okay. <laughs> just, just Brilliant. like her more. Well, thank you very much, Adam. It's been a pleasure and, no uh, yeah, much appreciated. Okay, thanks. 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 Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich. 